Welcome to Classics with Champagne and Caviar, where we're two wacky sisters, Francesca and Coco, who discuss our love for classic films. So pop open a bottle of your best champagne and caviar and let's talk classics. Welcome back to another bewitching episode of Champagne and Caviar with Francesca and Coco. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the enormously lovely classic All About Eve, 1950, directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Woohoo! <laughs> I mean, you can't get any more classic than this wonderful film. No, or any more iconic with the characters and the actors involved in it. Correct. Now, it starts a lovely, talented, I mean, there are no words to express the enormous ability of Betty Davis um, and Baxter Celeste Holmes Gary Merrill George Sanders I mean I I can't tell if he steals the show or if it's <laughs> or if it's Betty Davis that steals the I show don't, I mean of I course think they she does. all do I uh, yeah. in their own yeah. way I would agree with they that They really all have the enough ensemble cast to each steal the show and do a very good job to hold up to one another and still make the the movie wonderful. I I would totally agree with that. But which character would you say you love the most? I Now, notice I said character. (laughs) Now, when we go to actor or actresses, that's something different. But the character in the movie. I think the character that I find the most likable mm-hmm. and the funniest the entire movie is Thelma Ritter's character she oh, plays yeah, I love Thelma Ritter. I mean love she her. cracks me up the entire movie and it's funny how she recognizes what's really going on from the very beginning the deceitfulness of the main character Eve and it, 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 nobody else knows realizes it I just think that's hilarious to me well I mean come on Thelma Ritter was like I'm from the streets honey and you can't tell me that I don't know what's up this woman's sleeve. I mean, right? that's, that's the impression that I mean, you get. I mean, she guessed it, I mean, quite off the bat. And I just laughed my head off. But and I know she was saying, oh, I told you so. Right. But uh, it's a very wonderful classic. The writing, this, the lines in this movie, just they're nonstop. They fall off the page. I mean, the acidity of the lines, the sarcasm. I mean, Joseph Mankiewicz. It starts from beginning to end. His writing was just impeccable. I felt like he was writing a very um, personal story and he had a lot of personal feelings and so he was <laughs> it, it was just falling, all these words was just falling off of his mouth and yeah, he just wrote yeah. them on paper because it, it just it's non-stop from the very beginning to the end of the film with the what they say to each other, I die laughing. So who I'm is more in the film. sarcastic and arrogant and witty? Is it, would you say George Sanders or would you say Betty Davis? I mean, because it's they like... They each have their own jabs at, at different people throughout the movie. Now I think mm-hmm. George character, George Sanders' character in the film, his lines are so cutthroat and so deliberate that it's like once he says something, you're almost torn down right after he says anything. But Betty Davis's lines in the entire movie are so... 
I, I don't even know, like somebody lit a match under her and got her to say these lines. And you know what I love? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to interrupt. Yes, darling. One of the things I absolutely love about Betty Davis is is her delivery. Oh, when yes. I mean, she doesn't have to physically do anything or say anything it's just <laughs> well it is physical but not really all she has to do is give you that look and I mean, anybody that's a betty davis fan knows the look i'm talking about it's the, well you know it was a famous song called those betty davis eyes yes and it's all in the eyes yeah it's it's, it's all in the eyes i mean you, she just gives you that look and you're just like and she would say it's all because she's a great actress. <laughs> so cheers to the late, great Betty Davis yes, on that. Yes, and one of my favorites, I will definitely say. I mean, she was something to be reckoned with. Oh, yes. Now, but Celeste Holm holds her own now against it. And like I said, every actor holds their own against this all-star cast because, you know, we've, as classic film goers, movie goers, we all know sometimes when you have an all-star cast... The recipe for disaster is always somewhere lurking in the background. Yes, I would agree with that. And it never seems to work out when you have a very, very high-profiled all-star cast. Yes, we can name many movies where but that formula didn't work out so well. But that's for another episode. But, <laughs> right. Um, but this one, it, it works in every it's, it's, way. It's almost like it's just storybook. It's just, it just flows. It and just that's flows. the beauty of a classic film is the ability, that fluidity, it flows. And yeah. It's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I love that about this film especially. Mm -hmm. But it did an strikingly wonderful job at the Oscars that year, 1951, by being nominated for 14 categories. I know. Surprisingly, no other film has surpassed that. Really? really. Now, that I, I didn't now, know. Now, I didn't win in all of those categories, but it was nominated for 14 categories. Wow. Mm -hmm. I thought Gone with the Wind, you know, had the most, but... Surprisingly, no. I know, you know. And you know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. You're absolutely right. Right. But it did win for Best Picture, Best Director, also Best Supporting Actor for George Sanders. Mm -hmm. And it was the first film to have all four of its major female leads to be nominated at the same time for the same movie. And really? Baxter, yeah, mm, I remember that. Celeste Home, um, mm -hmm. Betty Davis, mm -hmm. as well as, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was... Demo Ritter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I mean, they all did a fantastic job. I would hate to be the judge in that You would category. hate? I, absolutely. I because you know. I don't know who I would choose if it was No, I, I really don't. I, I don't know who I would choose because they all are so phenomenal in their roles. So it's, it's just difficult. Right. And to think a little back history on it, um, Betty Davis was not the original choice to play Margot Channing's character. Yeah, really? Dear, tell me the tea on that. They originally wanted Claudette Colbert to play. And That's she was right. scheduled to play, but she had a back injury from mm -hmm. another incident. And so Betty Davis was asked to come in and she did and she even talks about this in her autobiography many many years later saying had it not been for one person's loss she would have never gained personally as well as professionally because we all know that she and Gary Merrill did end up meeting in this movie and marrying for about 10 years yeah they did and you know I'm I love Claudette Colbert I'm not taking anything away from oh, her, no, or her she legacy would be absolutely film, fabulous but I could not see her playing Margo this Channing. role and, and exactly the same way as Betty Davis. I mean, and and not exactly, happen. but bringing that fire, that tenacity with the role, I just couldn't see 
because Claudette Colbert always played such a wonderful, lovely uh, person in all of her films. You know, sweet, endearing. I could never see her being so harsh at times as Betty Davis' character was in the film. Well, as Betty Davis said, as fate would have it, I she got the best role of her life, personally yeah, and she professionally. Yeah, she did. She did. So, I mean, it just brings us it to It was this quite a role for a comeback, I should say. Yes, because... Before comebacks became comebacks. Well, <laughs> she put the stamp on comebacks, and it's not that her career totally was off the map, but she had gone through a decline, as any actress knows, especially when yeah. you get to a certain age, age period. Yeah. Um, you start having limited roles, Right. And this role popped into her seat, and she was very happy to take it at the mm-hmm. time. And look where it brought her, a man and a film and an Oscar <laughs> nomination. I always liked her um, with Gary Barrow, you know. Mm-hmm. They had a you very almost kind of envisioned marriage. their relationship. Was in the film. In the, yeah, you really can. And you know, I was very sad when I heard that that relationship, you know, didn't last that long. And they had very good chemistry in the film, as you know, and it's it's kind of like a awkward love-hate relationship throughout Mm -hmm. the movie because she's... A push-pull. Well, she plays an older character than him, and she's constantly insecure about it. And battling. And telling her, I love you, I love you, and she doesn't believe it, but it does come across of true love there, so... Yes. But anyway, as we start off with the film, we started to know from the backstory with tone from flashback about the importance of this wonderful award, the Sarah Citizens Award that's awarded every year to some great person in theater. And the newest newcomer to be awarded is, of course, Eve. And that's Eve what the Harrington. Movie, right, and the movie is all about Eve. And George Sanders, who does a lot of the narration in the film, talks about Eve, Eve the Golden Girl. And that's what we're here to learn about all about Eve. But we learn all As about Eve. As he said, Eve. I'm Addison DeWitt. I'm nobody's fool. <laughs> I'm right. sorry I had to throw that in there when right. you said that because he was just hysterical. Well, and his his character plays a very unique role in the entire film because he's very manipulative and devious, right. but it's right. that devious that you really love. Yes. You know, that you can't do without. That cynicism, that, that um, what would you say, je ne sais quoi of being superior but you in want one's a friend. mind. You want a friend like Addison, but yet you don't want a medicine enemy. Yes, as, as the old uh, adage or the old line says, I can be a great friend, but I can also be a formidable enemy. And he's definitely both. Right. <laughs> so we learn about Eve and we learn how she came to her humble beginnings before she became this golden girl of winning the Sarah Citizen Award. And not to cut this off and start on some other fact history, but as we know, the Sarah Citizen Award actually became a real award that they would nominate and give out to people who done who have done great works in theater because of this movie isn't that crazy that is absolutely mm-hmm. crazy yes this movie the Sarah Citizen Award it was a fictional award that they would give out to theater greats like best director in theater best mm-hmm. actor in theater mm-hmm. and then some people in Chicago in the theater world said they got this from this movie and thought that they should come up with it and they did and that's and, fascinating and created that's the absolutely award. fascinating and strangely enough 
Joseph Mankiewicz was presented one year with the award and, and gave a speech with regards to talking about how he invented it as well as received it. Mm, that's quite fascinating. So just a little backstory there on that. But anyway, getting back to the storyline, we go on to learn about Eve and she comes off across as this young, meek, innocent, you know, very happy-go-lucky, um, you know, fan of the theater and obsession with Margot yeah, Channing. Slightly obsessed. You yes. know, and just somebody that comes off as endearing, as in loving, enduring With a sad fan. backstory. You know, she meets Margot for the first time, or actually she meets Celeste Holmes' character. And um, Celeste Holmes falls for her. Charms, um, you yes. know, and you get the impression that Celeste Holmes is the the ever hopeful romantic, you know, the yes. ne'er-do-well, you know, mm-hmm. she just believes everyone's sad, soft story. Wants uh, to give everybody a chance. Right, and so she meets Eve and thinks, oh, well, she's a fan and she should have the chance to meet her greatest, you know, ingenue, which is Margot Channing, played by Betty Davis, and she finally does. And uh, once she meets her, you know, it's set sailing from there. Right, and then she goes in, meets Margot Channing, Delmarita, Gary Merrill, and what happens? They immediately are fascinated with her vulnerability and her story of where she came from, grew up, you know, what she was going through. And from there, they kind of just automatically take her in. Margot does, um, along with Gary Merrill, who's leaving to, you know, go and work in, in California for a while, in Hollywood. Um, and there's a, a great debate against the theater world and Hollywood in the film, which is very interesting. And I don't think much of that has changed even to this day about how Broadway actors feel versus actors in Hollywood. And she, she all of a sudden, she moves in with um, Betty Davis, kind of stepping on the toes of the Thelma Riddle character because she's kind of being intrusive, taking over, shall we say. Well, I think that she slowly starts to project herself into Betty Davis's life, but right. also comes across as unassuming. So it's not so detectable at first to the rest of the, you know, viewer as well as the, uh, the cast in the film. Unlike Thelma Ritter, who sees from day one how she really thinks she is. Yeah. So to the rest of the viewer, we see her as just an adorable fan that just happens to get the chance of a who lifetime. Idol, you know, who gets to work work with and meet her idol and she idolizes Margot in every facet you know from not just her being on the stage but her and her home you know and how many of us I mean let's honestly say if we were to meet the greatest person in our lives who that is you know whether it's an actor an actress or some historical shall we ask who would yours be oh I don't know the list could go on and on I mean but if I had the opportunity to meet any one of those number of people of course I would love to be able to just jump right in and be almost like I say you're not going to name a name not one too many people to name just one darling one too too many people I mean that list goes on and on I I wouldn't even want to put one person over the other there's so many great people out there that I'm fans of and that I admire and I I really respect and look up to but if I could meet the opportunity to meet them and be in their life I mean I would jump Okay, well. And so she gets that opportunity. She does. And so for the viewer, we don't see her for what she is, but we slowly start to realize that she's doing little little small manipulative things to almost come across as backstabbing. Right. She does. 
And then at a certain part of the story, when Margot does see her or begin to notice things that stand out that, that, that denotes to her that Eve is not the person she thought she was, it's almost become a little too late for that. Mm-hmm. But nobody else believes her except Thelma Ritter. Right. who was like, uh-huh, I've been telling you that. You're just now waking right. up. Right. Well, I think the turn, you know, um, of events of when that notice is when... The birthday. Um, right. Gary Merrill is still out of town, and he's in Hollywood, and it's his birthday, but Eve puts in a, the long-distance call overnight to herself and for Margot right. without Margot's permission or knowing, and I think that's when it, like, that light bulb clicked off in her head to realize, hey... You know, this is a little unusual for somebody that I don't really know or like really all that much to just kind of yes, take over I, things I think that it's, I didn't ask them to do. Right. I think it's that, and I also think it's the fact that, um, you know, she puts in the phone call, and then they have the party, the famous, infamous party. Well, Betty you Davis know. makes the famous line, buckle your seatbelts, because <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy night. Right. I think it's that. Oh, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's going to be a bumpy night. Um, it's, it's that, and then, you know, by the time that Gary Merrill does come to the party, normally it's it, she mentioned that he would have been in her dressing room watching her dress, whatever, but instead he's downstairs talking to Eve, who's trying to find out everything about him instead of spending time with her. But I think what really tops the cake is Margot goes to the one of the producers of the show, and I can't remember the character's name right this moment, um, wonderful actor, and says... Max you, Fabian. Yeah, Max Fabian, do you have a job for Eve to do as your, you know, secretary or something. But instead, the next day, she walks into the theater and Eve has become her understudy and she didn't know anything about that. Now, if that's not cutthroat, I don't know what is. And then, you know, George Sanders fills her head mm-hmm. with all that babbage and bibbles about, you know, she was wonderful. She was fabulous, you know. Mm-hmm. She was fire and music. Mm-hmm. But I think as any person who's already a classic movie fan that has seen this film, you already know that that took a little maneuvering and manipulation on Eve to get um, Karen, played by Celeste Holm, mm-hmm. to help her become Margot's understudy. Mm-hmm. And that's when we start seeing the manipulation that Eve is doing to all of the characters around Margot to insert herself and be an interloper in her life and you know what's so fascinating about that if you watch the film over and over and you look back and you said well what if Margot did things differently mm-hmm. in all honesty when you're surrounded by a person who's a great manipulator um, I don't think there's anything, there's anything she do. could have because even if she honestly instead of reacted mm-hmm. and was angry about it if she honestly pulled Karen to the side and told mm-hmm. her this is what is going on. Mm-hmm. I do not feel that Karen would have believed her. She would have been like, oh, you're just insecure. You're well, worried for nothing. The you part know, of the movie. The only the, person that would understand was Thelma Ritter because she's a street person. You get, well, I you think, know, or you been know, around, I should say. Yeah, she's been around. Not so much street, but just she's seen a yeah, lot of I things. Yeah, I just use street to mean you and know, being around. just seen a lot of people that I'm sure she knows the difference between what's Shady. real. She's not naive. And what's not real. And I think Karen, who is naive mm-hmm. and wanting to see the veteran people, 
um, was taken by the story that Eve had given about her having the a sentimentality of it all that died, and mm-hmm. she was a fan, and she'd go broke to see Margot. I think all of those things got wrapped up into her mind, and even for Margot, I mean, they, when she first told the story, in well, the Margot of the scene, was, she but Margot, Margot was going off of based on Karen pushing it so much, very much as so. well as Gary Merrill's character, like you know, kid watcher when he would tell her, well, you know. I think that and um, people did those in those days and she said it that Eve became her lawyer her cop her, her confidence her yeah. counselor her confident all of the things that she was lacking and looking for that she didn't have with other people and that's what manipulators do they find your weakness mm-hmm. and they play on that weakness mm-hmm. you know so. to provide whatever you need and I just think it's funny that none of them had the um, understanding or yeah. insight to well, let me check it out like George Sanders did. And, and let me see if her story is believable, you know, or well, is true. Like any person, you know, you don't realize that someone who comes off as an adoring fan would stoop to that degree to take right, over your life. Right, and right. to the point where now they're receiving the Oscar or the mm-hmm. award or the Sarah right. Citizen Award. Right. You never think it could get to that point. I'm sure they've had many, many, many adoring fans before, but never to never, the point never to that, that extreme. Degree. Yeah, but I think that's a true telling lesson, you know, that what goes around comes around. Absolutely. And like any famous person, sometimes you've stepped on a toe or two. Right, correct. Unfortunately, that comes back to haunt you in the long run, which at the end of the film, as we all know, does come back to haunt or we get the impression Mm -hmm. it will come back to haunt Mm -hmm. Eve. Right. I thought that, um, like I said, the movie was fascinated in telling the manipulation that that we all do to people mm-hmm. at different points in our lives sometimes. Um, but the dialogue was truly outstanding, uh, especially when Margot um, realizes that Eve has become her understudy and they're in the theater and she goes off about it um, with her husband at Can the I time, just say Gary one Merrill. line that I love? Oh, yes, please. One line that I think is fantastic and is fantastically funny is um, Celeste Holmes' husband. Mm-hmm. When he... Played by Hugh Marlowe. Yes, Hugh Marlowe. When he, he says, when will the piano realize that it has not written the concerto? I mean, that <laughs> is just hysterical. Oh, the way he tells it. And he does tell that to Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. That movie, I promise you, is just... It's a stellar dialogue, a mm-hmm. stellar writing. Mm-hmm. Hats off to Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Yeah, he deserves the awards he got for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just amazing. Best director, best picture of that year, as mm-hmm. well as best screenplay, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a very good uh, first remnants of a very young Marilyn Monroe in this yes, movie as well. Yes, we can't forget Marilyn, darling. Marilyn. Who I thought should have stayed. You know, sometimes you wish she would have had a bigger part at, the, at that time. Mm-hmm. But what she did was, you know, phenomenal nonetheless. Correct. Correct. You know. So we're brought to midway through the film where um, Betty Davis starts to realize that um, she's being slowly manipulated. Or in her mind, she thinks she's being manipulated by Eve Harrington. And she wants to, at this point, get rid of her. But because of Margot's brash personality, it comes off as she's just being a jealous, you know, actress mm-hmm. as usual, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to get rid of the new talent. 
But as the viewer slowly sees that that is actually true and Eve is manipulative, her and George Sanders, and Eve tries to not only steal the life and the role of a career from Margot, she tries to steal her man at the time as well. Which I Gary thought Merrill. was so low. I mean, um... And I and I was yes. almost I was almost vindictive. But I, um, I was almost to another degree. I was almost glad it happened because sometimes you can tell men like, oh, this person is hitting on you or, or trying to be disrespectful. And sometimes people it could be man or woman, whatever. You chalk it up to no, they're not. No, they aren't. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they don't see it until it happens. Now whether they act on it is another case. But I was so glad. That he he shut it down really quickly oh, he told and her told what he her wants, he wants to come after. He goes after baby. <laughs> and he doesn't want it to come her. after him. Exactly. So, and it I was I was her. glad that he um at the end he he was still he stood by Margot and you know she was worried the whole time about there being an age difference and he didn't even care. He was totally in love with he her told and he her told he her, her. Mm-hmm. which really crushed Eve because Eve thought she could take him and I was so happy that she didn't but the sad reality Betty Davis was constantly worried about um, her husband or not her husband at the time but until later in the film but that he was going to go to Eve when in actuality it was Hugh Marlowe's character I know I know and how horrible could she be to go after not only Margot's man but Celeste Celeste Holmes who was the one that allowed her to come into their circle and really felt sorry and and done anything because I'm going to be honest with you I really feel like if Eve Harrington had come out in the beginning and said, look, I adore you. Can you teach me? I want to work with you, whatever. I think Celeste Holmes' characters would have been over backwards for her to help her. I I do believe that. Probably. And I even think Margot would if she really played with her cards right. Honesty, yeah. yeah, with the honesty. I didn't think, I really think that the whole manipulating part was totally unnecessary. But I think that that was to show she was willing to stop at nothing to become yeah, the I actress would agree with that. I would agree that, with that she really wanted to be. I mean, my goodness, don't you remember when George Sanders is talking to her towards the end of the film and he's like, your parents have been wondering where you've been all this time. It's like she doesn't even care about her parents. Because she was so, and this is where you can have desire or dream to be something, but then turn it and flip it and it becomes an obsession Mm -hmm. to the point where now you're willing to risk everything. To, to fulfill that obsession yes, whether it's you're willing good or to bad. hurt anybody step on anybody's toes to get what you want which I think willing. is totally wrong to do because right. I don't think I think there's always a better way you don't have to cut someone else down in order to achieve what you want to achieve well I think there's a symbol there with her name being Eve I mean I not going to go there but I think that there's a definitely underscored theme there to call her Eve but yet she's manipulative right I would agree I, I agree with that so we get to the point of she the true Eve has come out or we are beginning to start to see the true Eve and as you were saying with the scene with George Sanders and or Alison DeWitt he has done his research and his homework to figure out that she has been lying this entire time and has been right. conniving and and who she has pretended to be is not the real her. And she really, this made-up story about being married to a war veteran who died, all of that was just cockamamie. 
boo-boo, <laughs> as right. they say, and she just lied to um, get to meet Margot. And he even says in the scene that had you been honest, she would have helped you. And he, she was like, mm-hmm. no, I don't believe that. And so it's just Because crazy. it wasn't in her anyway to right. do it the right way. That's when you realize it's just not obsession. It's just not passion. Just it was wicked, just wicked her. It was her. Because as he told her, they would have helped her. And I think Thelma Ritter's character would have respected her had she come clean well, and been honest. Honesty is always the best policy. Right. Your parents, I'm sure, have all taught someone out there listening, you know, and it does pay off, you know, um, because you pay your dues, as they say. Yes, because in the end, she lost all of them. Now, if that was even sincere, um, you know, she apologizes and says, I miss my friends. I want my friends back. But she never treated them as friends to really be. No, she treated them as a case study. Yeah, I think they she treated them as a case study of. Okay. How to be, how to act, how to. I'm gonna to, get to this look. from them. I'm gonna right. get that from them. What I'm do I need to say? Them. Who mm-hmm. do I need to be around? Mm-hmm. What circles? How do I get this out of them? How do I do that? And so it, it really makes you take a close look. If you ever get to that limelight, watch your back. Absolutely. <laughs> but as we get closer to the end of the film, we realize who she really is and that karma is really real because we see another young, aspiring actress wanting to take the place of Eve and looks like she probably has the same desires to want to Absolutely. fulfill when, when Addison, to stop at nothing. When Addison knocked on the door, for goodness sakes, he's not even in the door. The way she talks to him and says, yes, Mrs. Mr. DeWinter. I mean, Mr. <laughs> DeWitt. DeWitt. She's like, already, you can already tell that she's formulating in her mind mm-hmm. what she can do to get him mm-hmm. or tease him. Played by Phoebe Cates. Mm-hmm. To tease him. So, you know, I thought that was really, really interesting. And then you see Eve, who wants to be viewed as this diva, because when she finds her in her place, going through her things she, you, you have did you notice that Ann Baxter's tone was completely different the little Miss Innocent hi all that is gone and she's like give me a drink <laughs> you know play excuse me play by Barbara Bates <laughs> I yeah. said Phoebe Gates and I meant Barbara Bates but yes and it, it just shows you what goes around comes around right and, and the real Ann Baxter you see her for who she is but like I said that scene where Addison is or George Sanders is in the room with her and she's on the bed doing all that crying and he's I mean he just slaps her I mean like well I think it shows you know he's no fool and I think he hasn't gotten what he's gotten without having to step on a toe or two himself I mean he's like so a Thelma Ritter but just it, a sophisticated version I should well, say well I mean he's a sophisticated version and he's gotten to this you know upper class status or in, in his mind mm-hmm. where he probably wants to be probably the same way right you get the uh, the feeling exactly and I think it's like the old saying goes you know it takes one to know one so mm-hmm. I think that's why he's very on to Eve's game and willing to go on the ride with her because he likes a devious game <laughs> but uh, but yeah. he don't get it twisted he says that you know he's gonna go on the ride the game with her but he's in control of the exactly. game at all he's times the puppet master and she's just the dummy mm-hmm. with the string so yes for sure he's in control as we learn he will be in control for the rest because he knows all the dirt and gossip on us 
yeah, that no one absolutely. else knows. Her real life, her secrets. Mm-hmm. I think her real name in the movie was Gertrude. <laughs> I know. And she was going around saying her name was Eve. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just tells you she was lying from the very beginning from just her name alone. Yes. Well, the film is a wonderful film. I, I don't think we could talk about classic film without talking about all about Eve. The costume design, may I say, was done by Edith Head. The Edith Head. And, and one and best costume design that let year. Let me tell you, Edith Head had a fascinating career because she did the costuming for so many movies and oh, she fabulous. never gets the credit that she deserves. I mean, I absolutely love Jeez. Coco Chanel. We I have Chanel pieces, but Edith Head and I and in another episode we will talk about some things that I have that are Edith Heads, mm, which I okay. hold to myself, I hold very dear to my heart. But Edith Head does not get the credit that she deserves. She, I mean, has done the wardrobes off the backs of I mean kings because without Edith Head we would not have costume design of today. No, we wouldn't. She's done every movie I can think of that is a classic film. She's had some part in it. Trust me. Yes, yes, she has. Um, and she, like I was saying, she did win Best Oscar for Best Costume Design that year. For and the, she deserved for the it role. because that dress on Betty Davis was killer. Oh. Every piece she wore in that film was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. And she wore well, honey, too. And the music also was done by Alfred Newman. So The amazing, legendary Alfred Newman. I mean, that school. I mean, you can't have a classic film without a beautiful, beautiful score. score. I, I mean, there are some top greats, and Alfred Newman is one of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you haven't watched All About Eve, please... Pour yourself a tall glass of champagne and caviar and enjoy. You will never be disappointed. And if you've seen it, watch it again because this never gets old. It never does. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Champagne and Caviar with Francesca and Coco. Until next time. And if you haven't, please subscribe.